So if you've got a Bible or your app, if you open it to John 21. So we're kind of at the end of the Gospel of John. And if my calculations are correct, we've done about, this is about the 40th sermon in our study of John's Gospel. Um, And you might be going, 40, that's a long time. And yeah, it is. But it's quite um, appropriate because John's Gospel is not just like a snapshot of Jesus. It's like a, a painted portrait Now, you might be going, well, what's the difference? Well, if you look at Mark's gospel, it's like a snapshot. It's full of action. It's a snapshot here and a a snapshot there. And it's like action, action, action. He uses the word, Mark uses the word immediately, uh, 41 times, and it implies speed and with things happening all the time as if things are going on and on and on. While John, the pace is quite different. It's more of a kind of studied portrait where time is taken over detail. And this studied portrait is to convince the readers to make sure the readers believe in Jesus Christ. The term Jesus, the term Christ, terms that are found more than 170 times in the Gospel of John. And the word believe is found over 100 times in the Gospel of John. So just by the frequency of those words, we know what the theme is, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now last week we looked at John chapter 20, which Jason spoke from last week. And I was thinking about it, I thought, well, that would have been a great place to end the book. I don't know if you kind of felt that as well. It felt like John chapter 20, the gospel was finished. Look, uh, just to refresh your memory, look at the last two verses of John chapter 20. This should come up on the screen. It said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The end. That's what I kind of thought. And then, oh, I've, I've, I've got to turn up this. We can keep going. I was a bit, okay. So why doesn't John just stop there? Why is there another uh, 25 more verses in chapter 21? Well, simply, this story isn't finished. If he was to end the book there in chapter 20, our memory would be of Peter and how he was such a failure and how he'd felt so bad and how he was so hurt and he'd hurt others and how he, was, he had disappointed himself and how he was discouraged over his failure. But John wants us to know that Peter was restored. He wants the readers of the gospel to know that even though Peter failed, even though Peter denied Jesus, that the story isn't over. So let us pray before we start, because I've not started yet, uh, before we look at John chapter 21. Father, we calm ourselves now. Take time just to be quiet. 
still ourselves so we can listen to you. Lord, speak to us through your word. Speak to us this morning. Lord, we have nothing to offer you except the time we've given up to be here. So by your loving grace, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if at any point in your life you've had a a life song. Now, a life song is a kind of song that represents the time of life you're in. I've had a kind of few life songs over the years, and if I hear them, they kind of take me right back. They give such emotion in the songs to different times and different places and different people. Here is what I'm going to play, a little clip of one of my life songs from a time before Claire came into my life. Okay, go. enough of that okay and it was it was such a an, a life song and I was chatting to Sam last week and it still gets me that song still gets me but obviously with Claire in my life that cannot be my life song can it no there may be another one but no, I, there is another one so it's maybe something like this one okay, is that good I think Oscar, I think, said it was 2014. Doesn't that make you feel really old? Okay, welcome. (laughs) And I was thinking about um, the disciple, Peter. And I was thinking at this point, I wonder if he had a life song. Try this one. Do you know it? I was thinking, you know, Peter is here and he's had this huge failure in his life. And I bet he wishes he could just go back a little bit. That he could turn back time and not deny Jesus. And here in this chapter of John 21, we kind of find the disciples are wanting to go back. You know, the last three years of their lives have been so exciting. They'd seen things they'd never seen before. But the last weeks in Jerusalem have been really hard, really, really intense. And they've had the nightmare of the crucifixion and then the ineffable wonder of the resurrection. And I can imagine that they're all kind of a bit bewildered and And they've got turmoil. And that in some ways they wish they could just go back. And that's what they do. They go back to Galilee in this chapter. Eleven of the twelve disciples were from Galilee region. It was only Judas who was from the south. 
And so they go back to Galilee. And I don't know if they were just like me, that time is hard. They run back to, to mummy, but for mummy's boy. Maybe they just run back to go home and, and get looked after. Because there's comfort there. But actually it says they go back because Jesus told them to go to Galilee. Matthew's account of the resurrection appearances, chapter 28, verse 10, Jesus says, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So they've gone back home, not just because it's home, but because Jesus said, go back home. Verse 16 of Matthew says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Now, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, Lake Galilee, but there's a picture here of Lake Galilee. And you can see the, the hills rise up right out of the lake. And what's interesting is Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. It's about 200 meters below sea level. And then the hills rise up to about 200 meters. So there's a distance of about 400 meters which is, just to give you an idea, about three times the height of Box Hill, if that gives you any idea of what we're talking about. And Peter and his disciples had been told to go and wait for Jesus in the mountains, in the hills of Galilee. And so that's where they went. And we don't know how long they were there for. I don't know if it was a couple of hours, a couple of days, but Jesus hasn't turned up. Verse 3 of chapter 21, it says, So Peter goes, you know what? I'm going to go fishing. Now, I don't know why Peter and some of the others went back to fishing instead of waiting for Jesus, but that's what they did. He said, wait for me in the hills. Wait for me in the mountains. But they're giving it, had enough of waiting. I'm going fishing. Maybe they just couldn't resist the lure of the water. The old life, the familiar, and they just wanted to turn back time. Maybe they were hungry. Maybe they were in need of money. And so they had to fish for food or to sell the fish so they could provide. Maybe they were just bored waiting for Jesus. They didn't like hanging around doing nothing or maybe Peter thought for a much deeper reason that I'm going back fishing because I shouldn't really be a disciple anymore. I've denied the Lord. I've failed him. Maybe he was thinking, Actually, I'll just go back and do something useful. It was all a failure those last three years. The Lord is not going to use me to be a fisher of men because I've failed. So I'll just go back and be a fisher of fish because that's normal. And it doesn't tell us the reason, but the reason's not really important because the thing is, they didn't wait for Jesus. That's the important thing here. Go to the mountain. Well, they did, but then they'd had enough, and they, they went to the, river, to the lake. And waiting on Jesus is really a difficult thing for us as followers. You know, sometimes we, we're waiting for direction. 
We're stuck in a hard place, and we're waiting for release. Sometimes we're waiting to understand his purposes. Sometimes we're waiting for his provision. And we find it hard to wait. And Jesus' timings and his purposes are not always clear. And Jesus told them to wait on the mountain. But he hadn't turned up. So they took matters into their own hands. And isn't that so like us? But as followers of Jesus, he wants our faith to rest on the rock of his word and his direction. And not on the sand of circumstance. And Peter, he's really struggling to wait. He's really struggling to remain still. We all know he was a man of action, of impulse. He's out there saying, guys, I'm not going to wait anymore because it's been too long. I'm going fishing. Jesus hasn't turned up. There's a lake. I know how to fish. So logically, I'm going to go and sort it out myself. And we do that, don't we? And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, where did the boat come from? I mean, they'd left all the fishing stuff behind. Three years ago, they got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. So, did they steal a boat? It's great. You know, I wonder if Peter and the disciples were walking down to shore and and they're having this argument going, guys, Jesus said to wait. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's try this. Guys, if there's no boat on the Lake of Galilee, no boat that we could borrow, then maybe we shouldn't go fishing. But if there is a boat, then, hey, surely God is saying we should go fishing. I've done that in my life. I've done it in silly occasions. I remember as a student, not having much money, trying to justify buying an Indian carry-out. Lord, if on this street I pass an Indian <laughs> carry-out, it is a sign that I must buy a curry. But in all seriousness, I've learned there's always a boat. There's always something to take us away from the path of God especially when we're asked to wait, especially when we think we can do it ourselves. So the disciples, they're out fishing, and it says, verse 3, that night they caught nothing. Now, this word nothing, it's a really interesting Greek word. In Greek, it is udais. And as you know, ancient Greek is really quite complex, and only preachers know about it, as you know. And ancient Greek has lots of nuances and things like that, things like the indicative singular active verb and things like that. I have no idea what that means. I wrote it down. I did Greek for four weeks and then realized... I can't do this. It was so hard, and I dropped out because I realized we've got the internet. I can look it up. I don't have to learn it all. 
But what's fascinating about this Greek word, udais, is it means nothing. They caught nothing. There's nothing fancy about it. It just means nothing. Nada, nil poa. And this is the miracle in this story. Because to catch nothing in the Sea of Galilee is really surprising. You know, preparing for the talk today, I discovered that Galilee, until recently, was one of the most populated lakes in the world with fish, obviously. And so the disciples would have expected some fish, not none. Yes, there might have been the possibility of a poor catch, but udais, nothing? Well, that's incredible. So incredible that they mention it. And remember, they're the experts. They know how to fish. And they'd been out there all night. After eight hours of fishing, they have udais, nothing. I can't imagine how Peter is feeling. Oh, even the thing I used to be good at. I now can't even fish. I can't even catch fish from this lake which has fish everywhere. I wonder if some of you feel like that. You know exactly how those disciples felt. They've been fishing all night and they haven't caught a thing. And you look at your own life and you go, I've been working all my life. For what? And you come to church this morning discouraged, feeling as though the purposes of God for your life you've missed. Udais. Nothing. But your feelings are wrong. God's word tells us, Jeremiah 29, 11, that he has a plan for your life. A plan to prosper you and not to harm you. A plan to give you hope and a future. And you know we must trust God's word more than we trust circumstances. And more than we trust our feelings. In fact, the truth is that when it comes to discouragement and God's purpose, sometimes they go together. I'd love to be able to say that God's purpose means you'll never be discouraged. But if I told you that, I'd be lying. If I told you that, we'd have to discount the stories of Abraham, of Moses, of Paul, of Peter. For God's purpose in our life isn't just a case of a little sprint here and a little sprint there. It's a marathon worth running. And if, if I'm going to run a marathon, you know, I'm going to get a little tired, especially if it's uphill. And there's a sense of tiredness that comes when we run the long race. But often that's part of God's purpose for our lives. And don't let the discouragement you face say to you that God's purpose in your life 
is gone. That's not true. Anyway, let's go back to verse 4. Verse 4 tells us that morning is now here. And a picture, a lovely pink kind of sun rising over the lake, spreading from the hills over the water. We see the sun comes over the hilltops first. It creeps down into the hollow of Galilee, which remember is really 200 meters below sea level. And with the first light of day, there might come a morning mist that is lying just above the water. And through the mist, the tired disciples see a figure standing on the shore about 100 yards away. That's about 90 meters. And the figure calls out, verse 5, friends, haven't you any fish? In fact, the form of the question in the Greek is what you call a negative question. It expects no answer. It's the sort of question your wife often asks you. For Jesus knew perfectly well there was nothing in the bottom of the boat. In fact, if we translated it literally, we would make it a statement. Guys, guys, you don't have any fish, do you? Imagine Jesus saying to us now, guys, my friends, you don't have anything to show for it, do you? I've been thinking about it this week and felt him say, Pete, you've been working so hard, giving your time to so many things, and some of them really good things, but really, what's it worth? Udais? Nothing? My friends, you haven't got anything, have you? You've no fish. The boat, it's empty. Nothing. And then the figure says to them, verse 6, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Look at this picture. It's the remains of a boat that was found in 1986. It had been in the shallows of Lake Galilee for 2,000 years. And in 1986, there was a drought in Israel, and the water level exposed this boat. And what you can see here is that it's not a great distance from one side of the boat to the other. It's about two meters, seven and a half feet And what they would typically do is they would have the nets on one side, typically on the left-hand side because most people are right-handed. And so when you're pulling them in, you've got most of your strength coming from your right side. And rather than swapping the nets to the other side, which takes an awful lot of work, they would rather turn the boat round and carry on doing what they had been doing on that side of the boat. But Jesus says, just lift your nets up, move them two meters, and you'll catch some fish. 
For the fishermen, that just wouldn't have made sense. And humanly, it just doesn't make sense, does it? Two meters. And maybe for a lot of us, in life, we're looking for purpose, but we keep on trying the same side. I'm just going to keep putting it out on the same side until it works. I know if I try hard enough, I know if I try long enough, eventually I'm going to get success. Eventually I'm going to find meaning and purpose. If I just try a bit more, if I just try something the same but different but the same, then I'll have purpose. But what if we're just trying it all wrong? What if we're trying really hard at the wrong thing? What if we're using all our energy, all our efforts to do the wrong thing? No matter how successful we become, if it's the wrong thing, it's worth a dice. Nothing. So the secret is not trying harder. You know, some of you maybe have been trying hard all your life at things. Trying hard to get that job you want. Trying hard to get married. Trying hard to make a difference in your kid's life. To make a difference in your partner's life. Trying so hard. But maybe you've been trying hard at the wrong thing. And sometimes we get in this rut and we think... There are only two options left to me. I've got to try harder or give up. I need to just dig in a little bit more. Keep battling away. Or maybe you're more like, it's just pointless. I'm away to bed. I'm going to get that blanket, pull it over my head. I just can't do this anymore. But Jesus taught his disciples that there was a third way. Trust him. Trust him and throw your net on the other side. The story teaches us that it isn't just try harder. It isn't just try somewhere else. And when we're experiencing failure or disappointment, we can think it's because of where we are. We can think, ah, if only I move location, if only I change job, if only I change partner, if only I change kids. Oh, we can't do that. (laughs) Sorry. Um, But the issue isn't where we are. The issue is who we're listening to. That's what makes the difference in our lives. It was just two meters. And the difference was they listened to the direction of Jesus. That was the difference between success and failure in their mind. It was just the width of the ship. And if you have that feeling of, what's it all about? Cast your nets on the other side. Trust him. And then verse 6, it says, When they did, 
they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then if we skip down to verse 11, it was full of large fish, 153. But even so, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Have a look at this picture. This is a, a modern-day Galilean fisherman with his cat. And I tried to count. I reckon there's about 30 fish there. So imagine 153. I kind of go, wow, that's a, that's a big cat. And it does say they were large fish. And so they've gone from nothing or dice to this good, amazing catch. And why did they get this catch? They listened to Jesus. They did what he said to do, even though it was something they were not used to doing. And I was again thinking, what on earth were they counting the fish for? 153? Well, maybe that's what they normally did. Because they would get their fish, then they would count them to see how much money they were going to make. I have to pay off this person, I have to give my wife this lot, and the children this lot, and, and all of this. And they had to work out the profit from their fish. I also was thinking, I bet you they counted the 153 because of bragging rights. We know what fishermen are like, aren't they? Oh, I got a big fish. And I, I was picturing this conversation and uh, Peter, he, he rocks up to somebody he's not seen for a while. He goes, oh, all right, Danny. Yeah, I'm all right, Pete. You okay? You still doing that kind of Jesus stuff? Yeah, yeah, Danny, I'm still doing that Jesus stuff. What about you? You still fishing? Yeah, Pete, I'm still fishing. Well, Danny, did I ever tell you about the time I caught 153 fish? Ah, I remember the day. But you know what? I actually don't think this is the highlight of the story, is it? 153 fish. Great. And we think it's a miracle. Remember, the miracle was actually there was no fish. 153 fish? That's just a really good day. It's not the highlight, because the highlight comes in verse 12. It says, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Their highlight of their day wasn't 153 fish, wasn't the fact that there could be a miracle. The highlight of the day was having breakfast with Jesus, was just hanging out with Jesus, was just having time with Jesus. Guys, what was the highlight of your day in John 21? They're not going to go, God, it was when we went fishing, that was amazing. They're not going to go, I went fishing and put it as a bumper sticker on their chariot or whatever. And yes, this is an awesome catch. But it doesn't compare to being with Jesus. It just can't. The highlight of their day was being with Jesus. I mean... Jesus made them breakfast. The creator of the universe, the God of everything, the Lord of lords, the King of 
kings, the savior of the world, made them breakfast. And Jesus, he's not bothered about the 153. He didn't even need them. He had his own fish. Jesus isn't bothered about the fishing, that they've kind of not waited on him, that they should have been up in the mountains, but now they're in the lake. Jesus isn't bothered. He just is delighted to hang out with the disciples. Jesus isn't bothered about all the stuff that's going on out there. He's just bothered about them. He just wants to see how they are. He just wants to sit around the fire and, and chat with his friends. And this morning, it's taken me a long time to get there, but that's the main message. That there is more to life than just fishing in the Sea of Galilee. There's more to life than the 153 fish, which we think is an amazing experience. There's more to life. And often we get so busy with the fishing, which is worthless. Or we get so busy with the 153, because we think that's what God's doing. We get so busy with the stuff that we forget Jesus just wants to hang out with us. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 2, Jesus speaking to a church in Ephesus, he says, I know your deeds. I know you work hard. I know you persevere. I know you do good. I know you do lots and lots and lots of great things. But you've left your first love. Yes, you're doing all this amazing stuff. But you've left your first love. And that's what's important in this story. And we're so busy. We're so busy. And we think we're busy doing good. We're doing stuff for him. But actually, he just wants to hang out with us. He just wants to spend time with us. This morning, what are you pursuing? What are you looking for? Jesus just wants to spend time with you. That's what he wants. Let's pray together. And as we pray, the worship team could come back up. Just bow your head and bow your head before the Lord for a moment. Just look to him and just look to him in your heart and say to him something like this, maybe. 
Lord, I'm tired because I've been casting my net out again and again and again. And I've got nothing, Udais. Lord, nothing. Lord, I've not been listening to you. Lord, show me which side to cast out my net on. Show me where to put my energy. Or you might be thinking something like, Lord, I've just been spending a lot of time on myself. And Lord, uh, it's pretty discouraging, really. And Jesus says, come. Come and have breakfast with me. Come and sit with me a while. Sit and Enjoy each other's company. Come and sit. For Lord, it's when I'm with you, it's when I will find purpose. It's when I'm with you, I will find joy. It's when I'm with you, I will find fulfillment and significance. It's when I'm with you, I will find life. Jesus, help me to come and sit a while. Jesus, I've got all those things I've done wrong and these disappointments and whatever. I'm sorry for the things that I've got wrong. Sorry for the times I forget. It's just about being with you. Come and as we sing, meet with us. Again, in the, in the songs, in the music, so we can sense your presence and we can hear you speak to us. Amen.